This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. We have been out of contact for a long time. I don't remember how Too many long. Days. I've lost track. I, it is, it has been a while. I apologize. I have been very, very busy. Um, and I haven't been able to dedicate time to do this. It's not Tony's fault. It's all me. Uh, but I'm glad to be back tonight with Tony. I'm sorry, Tony Tidy Wires is on with me tonight. That yeah, is that, that tonight. we discussed that off air. That's unfortunate. I'm gonna I'm complaining about my random name generation. Yes, I, I don't know if you the, the service we use generates a name if you don't put something in, and Tony never put something in, so it always generates something different every week, and we kind of chuckle. I mean, seriously, people. why would I put something in for this? I put my Do name. Do I need to see my own name when we're doing this? No. no it's just funny. When, when we get the recording back, it actually puts the name of whatever you're titled. And every week I can go back and look at what Tony was. So it's always fun. I always know which mine is because mine says Chad. Tony says right. something different every week. A little sad nugget of amusement for, for Chad. <laughs> I, I take him where I can get him. Uh, let me. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna change the order on what we were gonna do. Um, tomorrow is primary election day in the state of Pennsylvania. There are four ballot issues on the on for everybody in the state of Pennsylvania who's a registered voter. So the first two are probably the most relevant uh, for most people in Pennsylvania. I don't know. You, are you familiar with all four, Tony? Or no, just the- I'm not familiar with all four. So the first I two really do not. <laughs> it's okay. Well, you're probably going to vote tomorrow and you'll read them and then you'll be familiar with them. Uh, yes. The first two deal with the constitution, the, the Pennsylvania constitution, which basically they're set to do limits on the power of the governor. Um, so looking at the last year or so, Pennsylvania governor has basically kept the state of Pennsylvania under a state of emergency since March of 2020. Uh, he's, He's made some changes, but his authority was the only authority um, that was allowed to make those changes. So the Congress of the state of Pennsylvania is basically Republican controlled for the most part. I mean, there are pockets of Democrats, uh, but they had no authority really to change that state of emergency. So the first two ballot measures deal with limiting an emergency state of emergency to 21 days without congressional approval. To continue it, you can't come back and say in 22 days, same thing, I want to do it again for another 21 days. Uh, and then the other one is limiting also the power of the governor to, to make those changes and to end when something ends. What are your thoughts on that, Tony? I think I know where you, you'd fall and you'd probably fall exactly where I fall, but we've been directed by certain people to vote for those two amendments. The way they're written is odd. What do you, how do you plan to look Wait, at those? I, I'm curious though. What do you mean by we've been directed to vote? Who, who's directing well, us exactly. to vote? So I get a, I get a newsletter from uh, my former um, state representative for where I lived previously. And she gives out what sh- her recommendations are and what, what they mean and what they, what the nuance is. Uh, Governor Wolf in the state of Pennsylvania has said he doesn't plan to abide by the rules, even if they're changed, because they don't really apply to him. 
which is odd, um, but not surprising. Uh, when I say directed, just not not told how to vote, just here's what it means. If this is what you're voting for, this know what yes means, know what no means. That, that's more about what I'm thinking. Well, based on the behavior of <laughs> Kaiser Wolf over the last year and a half and all the other blue state governors who know what is best for the lemmings, um, I'm firmly in favor of limiting the ability of an autocrat, a self-appointed autocrat, to decree a status of permanent emergency until he decides otherwise. So I will I will take a look at the actual language, but philosophically, I have absolutely no problem and, in fact, am in favor of limiting what has become across the country – uh, starting from the top down with the current occupant of the White House, uh, an abuse of executive power. And uh, yeah, so I'm quite philosophically in favor of limiting our betters when okay. they can't seem to limit themselves. I, and I agree with you. I, I, I believe these two, Prior to last year, it probably didn't seem relevant to continue them. I mean, it, in a natural disaster, ninety days, which was the was the current uh, number, that seems reasonable. You have a hurricane come through, you have a flood come through. Ninety days seems reasonable to probably deal with the aftermath. Uh, but this continuous, we're just going to be under a state of emergency simply because I've got power and I don't want to give it up, is ridiculous to me. So I. You vote how you want. Anybody listening to this, vote how you want, but understand what you're voting for, uh, regardless of what the language says. Voting in favor of these two ballot measures does limit the power and the declaration of an emergency in the state of Pennsylvania. And I know other states are looking at the same thing. Well, I would point out, so the example that you used about a natural disaster, Mm -hmm. uh, those are the kind of incidents where power can still be abused, but they're very specific events. Typically, uh, you know, everyone understands the emergency when something floods. Everyone understands the emergency when there's some other cataclysmic event. I mean, not necessarily in our part of the country, but an earthquake or something along those lines or the California forest fires or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of very specific things that tend to go on there. And so the, the variety of governmental agencies are dispatched and at the federal level, FEMA is dispatched. The concern relating to emergency powers that stems from COVID, and this has been very clearly floated uh, by certainly the the blue state folks who like their power, is mm-hmm. that, boy, there's a whole bunch of other possible, emer- quote, emergencies relating to whatever their pet crusade is. So, you know, Joe Biden has toyed with the idea of we have an emergency about guns and we have an emergency about, oh, the threat of the domestic terror (laughs) mega hordes who are still plotting further insurrections, right? So that's the point is that part of this, certainly I'm not denying that there was a pandemic, but it's the expansion of this entire idea of what constitutes an emergency. And it's going to be put to use to jam through preferred political action that couldn't otherwise be accomplished at the ballot box. And that is the point is that these folks, Tom Wolf, 
um, Gretchen Whitmer, Mr. Newsom, go on and on the, whoever the current, uh, Meister Burger of Portlandia is right. <laughs> Wheeler, isn't it? Ted Wheeler. I yes. can't remember whether he, he might be the mayor. I don't he's mayor. Yes. You've got, you've got Waltz, you know, you've got, uh, Minnesota, yep. Heinrich Waltz out in Minnesota and all of these folks are you just yeah, Cuomo. You forgot Cuomo. Well, in New York. He goes without saying, right? Yes. You've got, uh, the Emmy award winning, uh, oh, yeah. Cuomo in New York. So all of these folks are simply looking for any reason uh, and any justification. And here's the thing. You hear them talk, and they literally don't even acknowledge. You alluded to this. They don't acknowledge any limit on what they can do. They're not constrained by constitutions. Well, why do we care about that? And so we think it's a good idea. We're smart. You're not. We have experts. They've told us. And so we're just going to implement this stuff. That's how it works. And by the way, this goes back to Barack Obama. Barack Obama for all of the people screeching about Donald Trump's tyrannical presidency, Barack Obama was the one that was constantly saying, well, you know, um, when Congress won't act, I, I have to, because that's in the Federalist Papers. That's how it works. See, if the legislature doesn't do what I want, I'm a constitutional scholar. I get to do it. And this is the this is the notion now for all of them. They recognize why bother with the stupid electorate who is unwilling to agree with us because our ideas are terrible and unpopular. We'll just cram it through by executive action. And that's the danger. Well, you, you allude again to what, what Governor Wolf had said, which was, I'm not bound by the Constitution that I agree to uphold. How, how, how ridiculous is that statement? I'm not bound by it because I don't agree with it. Oh, okay. That's how that's how it works. You know, well, I can choose. I choose when I'm bound by it. Yeah. If it gives me unlimited power, yes, I agree with it. If it doesn't, well, I'm not really sure. I think that's the best interest of the state of Pennsylvania. It's ridiculous, but that's that's beside the point. One of the other referendums on the on the ballot, and this one's a little different. Uh, it's making municipal fire and emergency medical services companies eligible for loans that currently are only offered to volunteer organizations this would allow the for pay organizations to uh get the same loans i i have a thought on that what do you think on that i don't you know what i don't know what i think about that because i need to think through okay exactly what the consequences of something that like that would be so uh uh, this is perhaps the uh, a rare occasion when I'm not willing to commit to a position. But let me hear yours, and I'm sure I will then develop a thought in response. Okay. So on the face of it, it seems like, great, we can expand the use of a loan program designed to help get equipment into the places that need it, emergency medical equipment and firefighting equipment. That's all well and good. I think of this, the city of Harrisburg in Pennsylvania who has found – absolutely no way to live within limits and has found no way to actually pay for the things they say will they'll pay for. I use the incinerator program in the city of Harrisburg as an example. I, I am fearful that communities in our state will take out these loans and they will default on these loans because they are horrible at managing other people's money. And then we all get to pay for their mismanagement. The, the place that they bought the equipment from aren't going to suffer we're going to suffer to pay off their debt. And I'm tired of bad money management being rewarded with more chances to badly manage money. That's my feeling on it. So, yeah. So your objection is basically government is incompetent, wasteful and mired in graft pork and all manner of 
corruption, then why would we why would we provide another avenue for organizations to suckle at the government teat, as it were? Yes. Um, so obviously, I'm aligned with you on that. I just don't, what I would want to know is more about how this would actually work. Um, where do these organizations historically get the lion's share of their funding who previously did not qualify for these types of loans? Taxes. Taxes on the citizenry of whatever community was paying. Well, this is, but this is going to be more taxes. I mean, it's government money. It it is. It's going to be more taxes, but it's going to be to your, what you said there, I am concerned about the graft and corruption in the pork that comes with, it's just going to keep flowing. It's an endless spigot of money and we'll just keep, doing it because it makes sense to just do whatever. And I, I, I mean, don't... for instance, is this a, is this a program that commingles state and federal dollars? Is this a grant program? It's a state. I, that's what I said. I don't know. It's so it's only a state program. It's only mm-hmm. state money. And that money is going to somehow be allocated out of what funds? Uh, let's see here. Pennsylvania General Assembly has determined that municipalities can take on debt uh, as of November 5th, 2002, up to five, whoa, up to $50 million worth of debt that yeah. they can take on. I Bad just, idea. I, well, here's the thing. As if, as if they don't already, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. Most of these state governments are not allowed to run debts, right? Actual debt. They have to balance their books. Do you think that's actually happening? No. Right? No, no. of course. It's all accounting gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Whatever they need to claim, they're not they're not cutting uh or they're not in the black no. at the end of the year. They're not even breaking even. They're just having whatever juggling act is necessary on the books to reflect that. So to actually tell them, oh you know what? Go ahead and actively incur Go and actively incur debt for all of these very important programs. See, that's the other thing. I would need to know um, for what purposes uh, are these additional debts allowed to be taken. For instance, you know what's defined there? Because once again, the devil's in the details. If these are just sort of open-ended, hey, do what sounds great. This reminds me of the discussion in the Biden administration about infrastructure. Right. The the new meaning of infrastructure is, oh, pretty much any pet project that we support that actually has nothing to do with actual infrastructure. We're going to call infrastructure and we're going to incur mountains of debt by spending on it. So this is just, in my view, it sounds like another opportunity for further government waste, further government expansion and further raising taxes down the road to pay for all of this, because that's taking other people's money to spend it on your pet projects is fun. Well, so here, give me a little more clarification. So uh, there are four previous referendums. First one gave a hundred million dollars, then 10 million, then 15 million, then 25 million. And, and the last, I'm sorry, five programs, 50 million. This is a fund set up by the general assembly that you can, apply for and get a grant for it to or a loan to repay. So you're still expected to repay, but now as a state, we're taking on the the risk. I don't, I still don't think it's a good idea um, for us to take on additional risk from places who obviously can't pay it. Cause if, when you don't pay it back, we're on the hook. 
<laughs> it's our money at the end of the day. I, I'm and, still and that's it. and that's the problem because there's no skin in the game for the people that are taking on this risk. It's yeah. your risk and my risk and John Q taxpayers' risk because that's what's going to have to happen if we can't pay it. Just yeah. like all of the other government expenses and boondoggles that get ratcheted up. Uh, <laughs> how are we going to pay for it? Well, we're going to pay for it by you and Tax- me. Taxes. Less of our paycheck in our own pocket. So generally, any idea like that, I oppose. Well, I, I generally do. And the fourth one has to do with discrimination based on race and um, ethnicity, which seems like an overkill for what's already in the Constitution and the federal Constitution. And I will not be voting for that. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I'm not looking to expand any further. Um, so talking about other people's money, I was listening to NPR this week. Oh my! I know. Well, Lutton for punishment. Told you told us today how much he loves NPR, and he supports three different public radio stations. Wait, who who loves NPR? Our friend Dr. Fia. Oh well, there, there's <laughs> now there is a news flash. Are you, are you real? Are you kidding me? No, no. Wow. So this story comes up and it, it was, um, it's about a group in Vermont last spring. And it was about after the George Floyd, uh, after George Floyd died, a number of blacks in the state of Vermont, uh, got together and put out a manifesto. And basically, it was here was the name. Here was the title of it: "Wealth Redistribution for Black People in Vermont." It's right there in the title. They put out saying, "Here's our payment apps: Venmo or PayPal or whatever you wanted to use." Blacks could sign up to be have money donated to them directly from whites, and it was directed at white people in Vermont, which I believe is ninety nine percent of Vermont, uh, and the the what they requested of you was pay enough that it hurts. You should feel the pain. Excellent. Hey, listen, you can give, give more because it should hurt you to give us. Listen, these guys are geniuses. I mean, talk (laughs) about capitalists. This is the Al Sharpton model. And you know what? Um, if, what is it? A sucker born at every minute. If a whole bunch of guilt ridden white Vermonters want to pay a bunch of swindlers out of some, I have no idea what for, uh, because they're, because they're black. You know what? Those guys are geniuses. Cash in baby. Robin D'Angelo's cashing in. Ibrahim Kendi is cashing in. This is essentially what all of this is about. And yep. we need to monetize our racial bomb throwing and our white guilt mantra. And so, you know what? I, uh, it's a free country. And if people are that pathetic (laughs) that they're going to just start doling out money to random African Americans or other allegedly marginalized people, well, um, there's not much you can do for those people other than kind of laugh. Well, it gets worse because some of these white people felt guilty, but they didn't feel comfortable giving the money to individuals they didn't know. So uh. they to groups that supported these individuals. And there was an, there was a flat uh, reaction from the black individuals that put up their information. No, don't give it to other people. Cut out the middleman and give it straight to us. Yeah, that because they weren't getting it directly. Uh, I just well, thought, sure. I mean, look, why would you want a middleman interrupting your cash flow? 
yes. uh, based on your skin pigment. Well, wasn't that that uh, BLM organizer in California bought a Topanga Canyon mansion? Yes. You, know, you want that too. So if you give it to her, she's going to keep it. You're not going to get it. I, well, I just, again, she's, she's against capitalism except when it relates to her. Yeah, of course. Um, this is the classic 1984 formulation, Animal Farm, actually. Um, yes. Yeah, the more equal pigs. They need to have their mansions in the hills so that they can continue to promote the revolution on behalf of the people that they don't want to have police protection. Yeah. Yes. That, that helps them. Well, it totally, totally makes sense to me. Uh, I want to switch a little bit to the party of science, and I do not mean the Democratic Party, um, mm-hmm. even though if you listen to anybody from the Democratic Party, they will tell you they're the party of science. Uh, apparently, science changed, and nobody noticed last week when the CDC said if you've been fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask inside or outside. Now, other businesses have decided you still need to wear a mask because we want to virtue signal that we care about something. Uh, but this is becoming, let's bring it a little closer to home in a church setting. This is, this is starting to divide churches, the, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, the mask wearing versus the unmasked wearing. And some of those groups may cross. You may be vaccinated and still wearing a mask because you feel you're supposed to, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Tony? Cause I think we're, I, I said in here somewhere, I think we're going to have 330 million individual groups because everybody's going to have a slightly different opinion on all of this. And what do you do as a church? Let's talk as a church, not as a country so much, but as a church, I, I well, got, are you asking, I mean, are you asking as a church in terms of the church leadership mandating certain things? What are you asking? Well, so I'm in a much smaller church now than when, when we were at the same church. Uh, and it's causing a divide. It, the, the mask, not mask. The church keeps going back and forth trying to figure out if we follow the guidelines, this is what we should do. But the question becomes, and, and again, this is church. People started asking, how do I know they've been vaccinated? Because easy, let me tell you the very easy answer. You don't. Exactly. And you're an adult individual. And so the way this works is if you are vaccinated, you really shouldn't care whether the other people are vaccinated. In other words, if it's a concern to you, you have the ability to eliminate that concern and the risk posed to you Mm -hmm. based on science, Mm -hmm. go get vaccinated. Now, if you then are surrounded by a horde of unvaccinated mouth breathers who aren't wearing their masks, as the CDC just confirmed, you Mm -hmm. have no reason to be concerned. So I don't understand this argument at all. And in fact, this is what many of the the elect, as John McWhorter would call them, have been vexed about. The idea that how will we spot the unclean people? We won't actually know. And it's very important to us because we are more interested in demonizing people who don't listen to us than actually paying attention to the fact that it doesn't matter because clearly you've all been vaccinated. And so it really shouldn't matter. But see, we then have no way of identifying who are the star-bellied sneeches and who aren't. Because now nobody has to wear any stars. See, it's it's completely 
about segregating people into their tribe, the mm-hmm. virtuous tribe and the unvirtuous tribe. And we need to know, not because they pose any risk to us anymore, since again, we've already been quadruple vaccinated, just to be sure. <laughs> we need to be able to point out the lesser beings so that we can stigmatize them and ostracize them. That is exactly what this is about. So how, from a church leadership standpoint, should it be dealt with? Okay, well, I can speak to only what's going on at our church, which is um, we are soon uh, transitioning back to indoor services because it's going to be – we've been doing outdoor services, uh, but it's going to become pretty hot you know, once we start hitting June. And so it's going to be masks are optional, meaning masks are not required. If you're an individual that still is concerned, perhaps you're not vaccinated, you can choose to wear a mask, but the church is not going to mandate any longer based on, look, I think the scientific findings have been obvious for a long time, but nevertheless, I think our church has been pretty done a pretty good job of attempting, and look, there's a lot of people that aren't satisfied. You can't satisfy everybody trying to balance. And again, we have to think slightly differently about this, maybe more than slightly as Christians. uh, This isn't just about rugged individualism, right? So on the other hand, I think it is overkill by a large stretch to continue in this climate to say everyone still must wear a mask. So I'm pretty satisfied with where our church has come down. And look, we've got people in positions of leadership who have been monitoring this stuff very closely. They've done their best to balance all of the interests here um, that, listen, we're not going to require that you wear masks and we're not going to request your paperwork, bitte. Um, (laughs) But those that have a concern with that, Number one, they can attend our church online. Mm-hmm. They've been able to do for the last year. And mm-hmm. if you want to come and you're not vaccinated, or for some reason you think the vaccination, contrary to science, is not going to do anything for you, then you can wear a mask. And I think that's probably the best you're going to do to balance all of the competing viewpoints here. Okay. And I, I don't disagree with that. I We are seeing – you're seeing individuals say, I won't come – if you don't require masks and you're seeing individuals prior to this announcement, I won't come if you do require masks. So, yeah. And I would say to those individuals, with all due respect, that's great. Yep. I agree. You're, you're entitled to make that decision. Nobody, I'm not, I'm not criticizing those people for what they, what they've decided. The issue becomes when those people say, I'm not coming because you won't do X and therefore, you're required to do X to exactly. satisfy me. Exactly. No, that's not how it works. You have yeah. the autonomy to make a decision for yourself. That doesn't mean you get to impose it on everyone else because of your own concerns. Mm-hmm. And again, at this stage, there is simply no valid reason for somebody who has been following the science to believe after you've been vaccinated that those who are unvaccinated pose some risk to you. Right, right. So that leads me into another question, and we're two different sizes. We're planning to continue online broadcasts. I assume you are as well. Yes. There's no, there's no time frame to remove it. It stays as it is. Now, prior to COVID, neither of our churches had an online broadcast. And I don't think most churches had an online broadcast. It's now part of 
what's available. Uh, we're seeing some return of in-person worship, but there's still a fair number of people who prior to COVID would have called this church their home have not come back in. Now, they may be watching it. They may not be watching it. I have to assume your church has some of the same issues uh, for whatever reason. People not been able to get in the building on a regular basis, and it was on a first-come-first-served basis for a certain number of people. What, what do we do going forward? Because we've got all these issues with tribalism. And I know our betters have told us tribalism's bad, except when it fits their needs, obviously. What do we do to get back to full full enrollment in a in a Sunday morning service? Is there is it going to come back, or did we did this shut it down to a point? In your opinion, well, i I don't know what church is going to look like in a year. I, I will say that what's probably going to happen at some point, there may be a decision made that we're no longer going to be doing. Uh, providing the online service. On the other hand, again, part of this has to do with how much time uh, logistics go into providing that. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, is there a constituency, a, a number of individuals that still would prefer mm-hmm. uh, to to worship and to attend church in that fashion? And again, I think that would be up to church leadership to decide if there is still a based on whatever information we're evaluating a significant number of people that find value in being able to listen to the sermons and and worship in that way maybe we'll keep providing it i will say this this is just my personal view um it's simply not the same Mm -hmm. being at home isolated from the rest of the church body watching a video. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have worship that way. And we look, our family has spent a lot of time over the last year doing exactly that. But I do think that God's people are intended, hopefully under optimal circumstances to be together, to be together in a place of worship. There is a difference between doing that corporately and out of necessity, having other avenues available. So I'm not saying that that's, that remote worship services are bad. They're not, however, in my view, the best way for a church body to gather together to worship and praise and take in preaching on God's Word. So in my view, if there comes a point in time when essentially the, the pandemic has for the for the most part, burned itself out, right? Based on whatever metrics we're looking at, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure whether it would make sense to continue to offer that. But you know, other people can disagree, and and I guess in a, in a congregation, our church is very large. If there was enough people that maybe we do a survey that would say mm-hmm. how many people are still interested uh, in attending remotely, maybe they still have fear about COVID, other reasons, and then I guess it would simply be a kind of a pragmatic decision about how do we best serve all of the people that attend the church without without somehow excluding or underserving a group of people that maybe requ- request a different type of service. So I don't believe there's a right answer to that. Sure. My approach would be at some point we phase out the availability of weekly online remote services and 
everyone is back at church. That would be my preference, but I'm not saying there's a timetable for that either. I, I don't know. Yeah. To your point, um, prior to COVID, there was a, not a live, but a rebroadcast podcast of the sermon. It was available after the fact. You could get it a couple hours later. You could get the notes from the from the pastor for whatever was preached that day. So all that was available. We've just now made it real time and video. Um, and to me, it kind of smacks of televangelism. You know, not, you're you're going to church, but not really in church in that respect. And I know that COVID, that was the only way to still connect with each other, at least feel like you were connecting to the group. But I, I came up with, we had a discussion last night with some friends um, and we we're talking about how important it, your friends are for your personal walk with God. And you talked about corporate worship and, and I would contend if your situation is that you are not interacting with other Christians face to face, I mean, you can do it on the phone, you can do some Zoom, you can watch the service, but are you really having a Christian walk with your, with friends who are keeping you accountable, who are keeping place with you and keeping, keeping you connected if you don't actually attend. Now I know there's certain people that just can't attend. They're, they're homebound. They can't sure. get out. It's very difficult. I'm not talking about those individuals. That's, that's a situation that they would prefer not to be in, but these are people who might be able to attend. Are you truly part of that body? If all you ever do is watch it on TV and I don't, I'm not making a judgment. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it does, it does beg the question. How much, how much involvement can you have with the body if you never are part of the body, physically part of the body? It's tough. You know, my, my grandfather, before he passed, he would watch the televangelist on Sunday morning and he, he said, I felt like I'm part of the church. But I said, you've never been there. You've never met anybody in that sanctuary how can you really be a part of it? It's like watching American Idol. Are you really part of the crowd? Or are you just watching American Idol? It's not really the same thing, regardless of what the message is, it's being taught. So I, I struggle with that. And I agree with you. I don't know if you keep giving the option not to attend, some people are not going to attend. They, I mean, they might do it virtually, but they're not going to show up. They're not going to be involved. And a lot of churches need volunteers. They need people to serve all the programs that they offer whether it's children or otherwise so it, i don't have an answer for it much like you don't but I, I do struggle with what does it look like in a year are we exactly where we're at now where church attendance is at half of what it was nationwide? Uh, well, i would certainly hope not uh, i hope not but i don't know i don't think we i don't think anybody knows and i think everybody's trying to scramble to figure out the answer and how do you engage the community in which you reside to encourage them to come in and and the masks are a discussion point. There's certainly something people are thinking about, whether it's a vaccine or not. They're thinking about these things. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of fear for the people who haven't come back yet. There's fear, whether it's just oh, or not. Well, fear, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think fear is pervasive and fear has been stoked by our media intentionally. And it's been stoked by politicians uh, for a variety of reasons to serve their own ends. And I do think there's a lot a lot of irrational fear. Okay, fear in and of itself can be legitimate, can be justified. There's things to be afraid of. And, and again, I'm not trying to minimize that this is a this was a deadly pandemic. You and I have talked ad nauseum about this. However, 
the level of fear and the almost superstitious nature of the kind of things that have been going on, which are plainly contrary Mm -hmm. to any scientific evidence and and are frankly just seemingly arbitrary um, kind of signaling rather than having anything to do with protecting people from the virus has proliferated to the point where it just has become almost a parody you know, some of these things, I mean, I've talked about my whole thing, you know, the Burger King drive through where, oh, put your, you know, put your card in the special COVID, uh, COVID Tupperware container because the ions are going to be isolated. There. I mean, there's all that stuff going on. You see people driving around in their own cars with a mask on by themselves. What's the scientific basis for that? Nothing. It's just pure fear. Yeah. And that, okay, we need to be compassionate to those people. But on the other hand, they shouldn't be permitted to sort of drive whatever policies we have because they need to know. They need to understand. Someone in in love needs to tell them, hey, listen, I understand you're afraid, but what you are doing is not necessary, right? The, the science does not mandate that you be afraid and wear a mask by yourself in your car. The science, no science mandates when you're walking around on a 60 degree day at the lake by yourself jogging uh, that you're supposed to be wearing a mask. There is no, there is no demonstrative or demonstrated risk there anywhere. Right. You see people doing this all the time. Well, I heard Joy Reid say she's going to jog with two masks. Yeah. And Rachel Maddow saying, every time I see someone with a mask, I want to point out that you're an anti-vaxxer and you're a right. 19 divide. Because again, it's about pointing out what tribe you're in. I'm in the superior tribe. I'm morally superior and you're not. And, and a lot of people like being able to identify the lesser beings among them. That's exactly what it's about. And that, that bothers me because I think you're putting, you're making decisions based on, and, and you, you say the science, I say the science has been perverted for political Absolutely. in a lot of situations. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden keeps saying it's patriotic to wear your mask and either mask or vax. Like that's the, it's a binary choice. I know people who, who will tell you these vaccines have not been FDA approved. I have to have this discussion. I had a discussion over the weekend yep. with somebody. I said, they've been emergency approved. They have been reviewed. They haven't been reviewed as much as we would normally put a vaccine review program through over years and years she said she said well they, they've not been studied on humans i said no they have been studied on humans and it has been sufficient to gain approval for on emergency basis because the the risks outweighed or the benefits outweighed the risks that you might encounter but there's aftermarket analysis of all this stuff that's why they ask you How, does your arm hurt do you have any other flu-like symptoms so they can gauge what's the normal level because they didn't have time to do that in all the studies but they've been approved and I hear, keep hearing evangelicals are anti-vax. I said, I, I don't, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing, I'm seeing page, people who say I don't want to wear a mask. And I'm seeing that in the evangelical community. I'm not seeing anti-vax in the mask. Well, in the, well, the thing is anti-vax, what does that mean? For instance, I think it's entirely legitimate to an individual, let's say, who's a 40-year-old, 30-year-old, right? Somebody who's not over the age of 60, who is otherwise in very good health, meaning no comorbidities, uh, you know, they don't have diabetes, they don't have heart condition, whatever, to make the decision that 
I'm not going to be vaccinated because I've looked at the science and what the science and the data have told me is this is a disease that primarily strikes, certainly in its most lethal form, uh, a cohort of the population that is much older, that has other identifiable health risks. And person in my condition, in that profile, I'm talking about this hypothetical person, I have almost no risk of this becoming a serious problem. And what I do know is that even though the vast majority of vaccines and the people that get them are safe. There have been people that have had terrible side effects from mm-hmm. these vaccines because guess what? That happens with every vaccine. And these particular vaccines were pushed through. Mm-hmm. Good, good on the Trump administration for actually doing that. But nevertheless, there are many things that we don't know, as you alluded to, that we still have to study about the long-term effects. And I would have no problem with someone in that position saying the weight on balance I am choosing not to be vaccinated. Here's the other person. What about the person that's already had COVID? Mm -hmm. Well, all of the medical literature that I've read suggests that your sort of immune response when you have the antibodies is far more effective than that which is provided by the vaccine. Now, there needs to be more studies about that as well. The data is not conclusive conclusive by any stretch of the imagination. But I wouldn't blame somebody who knows they've already had COVID, have the antibodies, I'm not going to get that vaccine. I've essentially been naturally vaccinated from acquiring this. Which is what we do in real life. Chicken pox, when we were kids, if one kid had the chicken pox, you're pretty much sure the rest of the family, the rest of the kids are going to get it. And I know families that would put them together to get it out of the way. Why, why delay it? Just let's get it all, let's deal with it. And then you're immune. Now you're open to shingles after that, but you got rid of the chicken pox threat and it was better if you took, got it when you were younger than if you got it when you're older, much better. Yeah. Uh, outcomes. There's, there's a lot of aspects of this that remind me um, of, of sort of the gun control debate where you'll have people generally on the left who will say, you know, I don't like guns. Guns are scary. Guns kill people, demon guns. And of course, what a conservative would say to that person is that's fine. You have the absolute right within your household to never get close to a gun. Don't buy one, don't have one. But of course what their response is, Oh, but the fact that you have a gun scares me. So (laughs) I don't want you to have a gun either. And this is exactly the same debate within the masks, which is, um, you can choose. I'm scared of the virus. Well, you know what? You can choose to go get a vaccine, but I want you to have a vaccine because I'm still scared because you don't have a vaccine (laughs) and I should be able to make you get a vaccine because I'm smart and I went to Princeton and I watch Rachel Maddow. And so you are simply not allowed to deviate from my prescribed uh, conduct for your life. This is the, this is the debate across the sort of progressive conservative divide where one group of people are not satisfied to make decisions that affect their own lives. They need to dictate everyone else's decisions as well out of their, in many ways, uh, manufactured fear mm-hmm. about something that may never materialize. It, it does seem like certain groups in this country want you to understand I have an opinion and even if you don't share my opinion, you have to agree with my opinion because I have it and you're being anti something. It sounds bad. If you don't agree with my opinion, even though it's contrary to everything you believe and everything you think you have to share my opinion or you're anti. And I'm going to, I'm going to shout you down 
wherever I can. And I think that's a problem. Well, and I believe, uh, I, I believe our friend, Dr. Fia is among the people he wrote a post and I, and I don't have it in front of me. Um, i probably a week or so ago where he very, he came very close to basically taking the position that, yeah. And I think he was citing some doctor, I, I don't know, somebody who was on CNN or whatever, basically arguing that people who don't want to take the vaccine should be made to take the vaccine. Which, uh, again, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, concept that would, that would go very well in East Germany. <laughs> I, I, I remember that post vaguely, and I can't remember the exact terminology, but you're – yes, uh, your betters uh, – forget that it's COVID-19, forget that it's what it's done, and I know it's hard to do. The flu vaccine that we've been given for decades, which changes every year, don't – don't get me wrong. And outside of medical institutions, it's optional. I mean, you you as an employee, your employer can mandate it if they want because there's data to support why it's good. If you work for a medical institution, work in a hospital, you can't really avoid it. You have to get it. Uh, sure. You can have exceptions if there's religious grounds and has to be approved by somebody. But there's no say in that. But not everybody gets it. I mean, I don't know what the national numbers are, but I would say it's got to be well below 50% of the populations getting the flu vaccine, the normal regular fall flu vaccine. And yet th- this has been ratcheted up to the point where you're having these discussions with people. Well, you didn't get the vaccine. Do you not care about me? Do you not care about your fellow human beings? Right. Which I reply, well, it's if you've got the vaccine, and, and, and Ben Shapiro talked about this great. He said, if you've got the vaccine, to your point earlier, it doesn't matter if somebody else gets the vaccine because you shouldn't be able to get it and you can't transmit it. So it's irrelevant. Why, why does it matter if I get the vaccine? If I choose not to get it for myself, you've gotten it. I'm not harming you. You're good. I'm not harming you. So why does it matter if I don't do it? And I don't think I, – I tell people all the time. The logic starts to break down when you start thinking about this too much. Your Burger King special Tupperware, or you wipe everything down except you don't wipe everything down. You forget a, a handle. Well, and, and wiping things down has there's no reason to do that anyway. From from the no. most recent information, right. transmission right. from surfaces basically not statistically meaningful. There's no evidence, uh, no legitimate evidence that that was a way that people were getting COVID, but we did that just obsessively for a year and we're just not, we're not to question it. So this question, I was talking to this friend again, how many people have COVID today? How many, how many new cases of COVID today? Does anybody know? It's not on your news every night telling you how many new cases of COVID, uh, how many people have died from COVID? I don't know the answer because it's not on the news every night telling me how many people died from COVID. Well, and not only is it not on the news, but we need, then we need to talk about how are we defining people who died Correct. from COVID as opposed to having COVID and right. dying for some other reason. And of course, all of those statistics have been jerry-rigged and mm-hmm. played with. And that's ultimately the upshot of most of this is that the medical community, just like the media, has so delegitimized itself by politicizing what should have been a straightforward scientific 
medical issue. And by the way, one of the things that they should have done, which of course nobody wants to do, is to say, hey, guess what? There's a lot of things we don't know about this. Yep. We're not we, – we have a level of humility that allows us to tell you here's what we think we know. And here's what we don't know. But did you ever really hear that? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Not from Dr. Fauci, not from any of our superior beings who were more than willing to dictate and pretend we know exactly what's going on and we will mandate what you should do. Oh, by the way, uh, never mind about that bulletin yesterday. We have a new mandate for you today. But don't you dare question why we flip-flopped on that. Otherwise, you're a denier. Yeah, it, it- – Again, it it breaks down quite a bit um, when I think about it. This just came across, and I want to be (laughs) – Joe Biden earned $607,000 in 2020 and paid 26% in federal taxes. If I remember my math correctly, he should have paid considerably more uh, in taxes, should he not, for that? Well, don't tell me that he is employing some wicked – loopholes in the tax code uh, to avoid to avoid paying his fair share everyone must pay their fair share chad apparently not apparently just uh well it was just it was a contrast to donald trump not sharing his tax returns like well again um i have no problem if joe biden had under existing law was able on $600,000 of income to legitimately find a way to pay that amount in taxes, good for him. That's what every American should be doing. Um, If you feel like writing a check to the Treasury and paying more than your statutorily mandated amount, go ahead. Warren Buffett, open invitation. Bill Gates, open invitation to all of you. But Of course, every citizen should avail themselves of the every legal method by which to reduce their taxes. And you know what? If the powers that be don't like it and want to continue to take more of our money, guess what they get to do? They can amend the tax code so that it's now 37 bound volumes instead of 36. But I always have to laugh when you hear this moral indignation about so-and-so is only paid X. Well, guess what? Elizabeth Warren is a master of this, right? It's like, hey, guess what? Elizabeth, who are the people that are actually in charge of writing the tax code? You can fix that. You're out there demagoguing the issue that it's a scandal that the seat. No, it's not a scandal unless you're going to allege illegality. It's a perfectly appropriate and what every person should do. Why do I want the government to keep one penny more of the money that I've worked for? It shouldn't. And then yeah. I can make my own decisions about charitable causes and tithing and all those other things that I guess for people, most people on the left, they think that's only about government. Their, their charity is government taking your money and redistributing it to whomever they dictate. And, and I agree with that. I think that's the problem. Let me, let me change pace a little bit here. And, and I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this unless you have further thought on it. Liz Cheney no longer being in Republican leadership in the House. Yeah, you're on. I don't care. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take anything from this. She cannot like Donald Trump, and she can voice that. But, Chad, she's been canceled. Yes. Isn't that terrible? No. 
No, all of these it. wicked QAnon supporters, no. they've backstabbed her. And now I'm shedding no. crocodile tears for poor Liz. Now, uh, let me be very, very clear. If <clears throat> your job is to get the message out for your political party and your message is more about you getting your message out about you and your animus towards the former president, you can't hold a leadership role. I'm sorry. If the lead, unless the leadership wants to do that, and that's the, the plan they're going with, and you're, you're putting that out. But if you're, a, if you're not putting out the message and the message becomes you, that's a problem. Secondly, I didn't know Liz Cheney was in a position of authority, nor did I care at all about what Liz Cheney's role was in the House. She's in the House. The, these subgroups of whatever, whatever, I don't care. I, no, I, nobody, I don't care. Chad, nobody cares about this story. And the only reason it's in the news is because it's just another means by which the media can somehow bash the people that they hate. Because Liz Cheney, for t- the time being, has supposedly become oh, yes. you know, the enemy of their enemy. So, so they're a friend. And again, I, I mean, I love the analysis that she's being canceled. She's a, she's a politician. Guess yeah. what? Your life by definition involves being canceled for any reason whatsoever that your constituents or when it comes to government leadership positions, the people that you serve with don't like the job you're doing. If you don't want to risk being canceled, you really need to get out of politics. Okay, That's not being canceled. Being canceled is when somebody in the media decides I'm going to dox and expose an individual citizen who's not a politician, who's not someone who's a public figure because I don't like their thought crimes. That's what being canceled is. What happened to Liz Cheney has nothing to do with being canceled. She was no longer in a position where she had the trust of the individuals within her political party. She had taken positions that were unpopular and therefore whatever meager authority that she had she was stripped of it. Happens every day. And the only reason that the media cares about this is because it's another way to beat the people that they hate over the head by claiming, how dare they? She's a damsel in distress. I couldn't care less about the fate of Liz Cheney. I, I cannot either. And I'm not, I, I know why it's a story because she was bashing Donald Trump. That's the only reason it was a story. That's right. No other reason. Don't kid yourself. That the enemy Democrat- of my oh. enemy is our temporary yeah. friend until we decide they're back to being an enemy. We don't care. Last thing I want to finish on tonight is the Israeli, the issues with the Israelis right now in, uh, against Hamas. Um, I'm, I'm for the Israelis just putting it out there in case anybody cares. Uh, I think Hamas is, is, and has been shown over and over again to be a terrorist organization and launching rockets into civilian areas and then claiming you blew up our building and there was other people in here. Yeah. BS. Sorry. I'm buying your crap. This is very simple. This is very, very simple. And I always go back to Dennis Prager's um, formula for this, um, where he said, here, here's the way that you need to understand the quote-unquote complex nature of the Israeli-Palestinian dispute. One side wants the other side dead. That's it. So th- I'll tell you what, Chad, this is one of the issues that really kind of gets my blood boiling because you want to talk about incredibly disturbing 
the level of flat out anti-Semitism that now permeates and reflexively permeates most of our Western media. If you can't make a distinction between a terrorist organization in Hamas, which by charter is sworn to the destruction of the state of Israel and which has continually, not just now, go back how many years when they lob 6,000 rockets, go out of their way to murder innocent civilians, women, children, indiscriminately. If you can't make a distinction between Hamas and the only democracy in the Middle East, which actually allows Arabs in its legislature who are free citizens within that country, you are one of two things. You are either morally blind or you are evil. Those are the only two choices. So this entire debate disgusts me. And as you alluded to, Hamas, oh, there's, listen, of course, there are Palestinians who have died. And they have died, some of them, because Israel is responding to Hamas's aggression. But what is never reported is many of those Palestinians have died because Hamas intentionally places their terrorists and their armed batteries and their missiles purposely in places like schools and hospitals and high residential areas. Why? Because they actually want their own people to be killed so they can put them on television and claim that they are martyrs to the horrific terrorist Israeli state and are useful idiots in the United States media parrot this propaganda without any qualms. There was actually recently an article, and I encourage people to look it up. I I wish I remember who wrote it. I believe it was in Tablet Magazine. And the author is discussing um, what he observed on the ground watching the Palestinians in complicity with Western media faking deaths literally gathering people in areas pretending to have been killed by Israeli rockets or bullets, filming this, and then literally, if no one noticed, or then just getting up perfectly healthy, an entire propaganda campaign. Again, I'm not saying that Palestinians have not been killed by the Israeli response, but they are the aggressors. They are terrorists. They are dedicated to murdering people to wipe out the nation of Israel. And anyone who thinks that this is morally confusing or nuanced or complex is an idiot. Is it um, Maddie Friedman, an insider's guide to the most important story on earth? How that that may be. Is that related to, and I forget the name, there was a famous um what turned out to be a lie about a Palestinian boy who it was claimed was killed by the IDF. And so he uses that as a springboard to talk about what he observed on the ground, literally manufactured claims, false claims, then promoted by the Western media to gin up hatred against Israel uh across the globe. And um Anyone who pays any attention to this, who actually reads what's going on there, understands this. Mm -hmm. This is, again, we tend to forget this is a country that not so long ago was almost exterminated from the face of the earth. Okay, Six million Jews were murdered. We still have people in supposedly reputable 
academic institutions who deny that the Holocaust ever even occurred. Okay, these are people that are tenured professors at universities. And we have other people like Ilhan Omar and the squad and you name it, most of them in the Democratic Party, who will look for any reason to demonize Israel and to excuse the barbarity of Hamas. And I want to make one other point. Mm -hmm. Our friend who likes to write all manner of things about his moral indignation as a Christian, about atrocities in the world, and of course, the many atrocities allegedly committed by the Trump administration, has been deafeningly silent. Surprise, surprise, about what's going on right now in Israel. And I just... I just couldn't help but notice, and it doesn't surprise me at all, sadly, that there hasn't been any analysis by him or many people who are like him that are sort of progressive evangelicals simply unwilling to grapple with the reality of what is going on there and has gone on over and over. And that speaks to a major a major problem with their moral compass. Um mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how you can, number one, ignore this when you're having paroxysms over the insurrection and children at the border. That's great. This is a terrorist organization that is attempting to murder civilians with the purpose, again, of wiping out the state of Israel. Now, what you'll hear in response to that is, oh, well, they, you know what? They can't really accomplish that. I mean, I've literally heard people like Trevor Noah say things like, listen, um, if you know that Hamas can't really win, is it really fair for Israel to kind of fight back as if any other country in the world would be expected to allow its neighbor to just, I don't know, randomly lob missiles into one of its major cities attempting to kill people indiscriminately, and we would respond by saying, well, you really shouldn't do anything. It's a disproportionate response. It's absurd, and it causes the question Why is it that the only nation on the face of the earth that is demonized for this type of self-defense is the nation of Israel? I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is, and it's an ugly one. Well, it is an ugly one, and this article you're referring to, he talks about Israel is always portrayed as the bully, which would mean larger, more effective, uh, versus the Palestinians. And if we look at the population of Israel, it's just over 9 million people in the state of Israel. The state of Palestine, according to Google, which is not an actual state, is 4.685 million. So it's about roughly twice the size, almost twice the size of um, Israel's twice the size of Palestine. But what you don't take into account is that there are over a billion Muslims. And that's what this is about. It isn't about just the Palestinians. It's about the rest of the Muslims in the world trying to, and, and mostly North Africa in the Middle East trying to destroy Israel and has multiple times tried to do that. A billion versus 9 million does seem like somebody's overmatched, but it isn't the Israelis on the top of that pyramid. And I get a little tired of, to your point, being told if you shoot rockets at us, we're not supposed to respond. We're just supposed to take it. You hear the same thing with police protests. You're just supposed to take the abuse and the physical harm and the laser beams in the eye and the bottle rockets shot at your face. You're just supposed to take that because you you deserve it because of your actions in, on the world stage or on the local stage. You deserve whatever you get because we said so. 
you deserve because we said so. And that's what I see here. This is not going to go away. The, the two-state solution is not the solution because it's, it's a force offered. And it's been rejected because they don't want an Israel. The, the leadership of the Palestinians, which let's be honest, and we could get into the weeds on this and we don't have time. We can maybe talk about it next week. One of the, one of the reasons this is happening is because uh, Fatah canceled the scheduled election and so what Hamas is now doing is attempting to consolidate its own authority as the de facto leadership of the Palestinian people. And they're doing this by appealing to sort of the, the man in the street by mm-hmm. taking it to Israel. There's other things going on as well that we could talk about. But the bottom line is that, as you said, the only solution the Palestinians have ever demonstrated they want is a one-state solution, which is yeah. – we're going to exist, and Israel is not. And Benjamin Netanyahu said this, and he's absolutely right. If tomorrow the Palestinians laid down their weapons, there would be peace, and it would continue. If mm-hmm. Israel laid down its weapons tomorrow, Israel would cease to exist. Correct. That is the calculus here. There Again, there's no complexity. There's no confusion. And anyone who says otherwise, as I said before, either is completely ignorant or they are actively supporting evil. Those are the only two answers. And I know people will say to me, you're you're being too black and white. It's nuanced. No, it is not. It is not. And anyone who claims that it is, again, either doesn't understand, either out of willful blindness or just complete ignorance of the facts on the ground, or they knowingly and cynically support evil in the form of Hamas and their terrorist activities. The yep. end. That's it. End of story, end of discussion. That is the complete story. And I, I will welcome anyone wanting to discuss an opposing view about this at any time. This is one of the things that I said before that really, really infuriates me because we are staring at the face of evil and somehow in our culture, particularly when and only when it comes to Israel, we have a group of individuals who are now supposedly the intelligentsia at the heights of our culture who are, are taking the side of evil. And here's the deal. The left, right? What is their, their entire mission is the oppressed and the marginalized. What nation in history, what people in history fit the bill of those who have been oppressed and nearly exterminated, and yet for some reason, their logic never applies to that nation, which is why I ask again, I believe the reason for that we all know. Yes. And the reason is a very, very ugly hate that has existed for a very, very long time. Yeah, there's a, there's a video on YouTube from PragerU asking why are there still Palestinian refugees? It's very interesting. Uh, when Israel was formed... 850,000 of the Jews that made their way to the homeland came from Arab countries. They were, by all intents and purposes, Arab, except for their religion and their upbringing. But they look like Arabs because they had intermarried with Arabs. If you go to those same countries today, so from 1948, there were about 850,000. There's less than 100 Arab or Jews in those North African communities left. They just, they're not there. They were told to leave in 48 when when the uh, independence revolution happened and that's it. They, they never came back because why would you, I hate you. I'm going to destroy you. Please come back. So we can get your tax revenue. That's never going to happen. So it, it's, it's a very complex in some people's minds, but you're right. It's, it's simple. Uh, if we, if we don't stop, if we don't keep fighting, we die. It's pretty easy. It, it's not hard. 
Well, and the final point to be made here is that one of the reasons that Hamas still exists is because Israel has been so unwilling to to actually uh, hit them with a proportionate response, which would yep. be to wipe them out. And in fact, Israel, once again, unlike any other nation in history, they tell Hamas and the Palestinians and any civilians that are in harm's way when they are going to attack. They provide advance notice because they go out of their way to attempt to avoid civilian casualties. Again, what other country that is facing overt murderous aggression against them takes those measures to inform those that they're about to attack, get out. We're going to strike. So it's comical. I'm sure, I know this for a fact, that there is are Israelis who say, why are we handcuffing ourselves like this? This is absurd. Mm-hmm. If they would be using what any other nation would do and be accepted as an appropriate response to an enemy that was trying to kill their civilians, Hamas would cease to exist. And yeah. I actually think that Israel needs to consider – and of course, there's going to be massive blowback and the U.N. will have an infarction. You know, that uh, what is it? The hive of scum and villainy at the U.N. <laughs> Who cares? They need to really consider they're going to keep playing this movie over and over until mm-hmm. basically they decide we've had enough of this. And come what may and come stigma from all the useful idiots and the anti-Semites and all those who have no ability to make any moral distinctions we're going to we're going to do what is necessary to end this constant bombardment and attacking and then see what happens. I, I, I don't if I let, let's put it this way. It's a good thing that I'm not in charge of Israel right now because yeah. I would be having a meeting, convening a meeting and saying this is over with. Right. Yeah. Pull out the Moab, the mother of all bombs and drop it. Well, okay, Th- This needs to end. And we'll alert the civilians again. Hamas wants their own people to die. Yes. They don't alert them to get out. They want them to stay because they want them to be hit by right. Israeli attacks because that's useful to them. They don't care about their lives. They're more useful as propaganda tools. So put in perspective, if uh, the Canadians out of Kingston, New York, were lobbying missiles and, and rockets, let's be clear. A missile is usually guided, a rocket is unguided, but it still explodes and still causes damage and death. If, you know, Kingston, Ontario was shooting rockets across to Buffalo and killing people, would the United States go, you know, well, I know you're smaller, you're a smaller population, whatever. No, we would, we would return in kind and we would destroy Kingston, Ontario from existing. It would, it would be gone. <laughs> it's gone. Sorry. I'm sorry. That, if you, you know, that, would be, that would be the end of the problem. Yeah, so it, it it boggles my mind how people think, to your earlier point, if I'm attacked, I'm just supposed to take it because why? What's well, because you have the Iron Dome. It's no fair. You're blocking most of our missiles. That's kind of, you know, sure. you, should give, you should give us a sporting chance here. But if, if that happened to the U.S., and we saw that happen on 9-11, we saw – bombs exploded basically in the world trade towers and it's a pentagon and in the field shanksville we saw that happen you know what that led to two wars you know don't tell me we didn't proportion we didn't respond in kind we did and lots of people died on both sides because of that but we had wars 
don't act as though we're all high and mighty because we're sitting here and, it, and Hamas can't shoot a bomb at us. You know, Al-Qaeda did. And we responded. And I think we should have. And I think Israel has every right to respond to destroy the enemy. And That's let's ask this rhetorical question. Do we think that this would be going on if Donald Trump was president, along with his administration's oh. attitude towards the Middle East, as opposed to waxwork figure Joe Biden and his administration? Do we actually think this would be happening? No, I, I don't believe the colonial pipeline would have been hacked either. I, I, I believe it was hacked because there's no fear in the Russians from Joe Biden. There's no fear in the Chinese from Joe Biden. I'm not saying there was fear from Donald Trump, but these things wouldn't have easily occurred because there's, you know, there could re be repercussions. I, I told this quote before the North Vietnamese were afraid of Richard Nixon because he was un, in their opinion, unstable and could do anything. They didn't expand the war like they wanted to, to defeat the South because they were afraid of what Nixon would do when Nixon was gone from office. Guess what? Saigon fell because they knew Ford couldn't do the same things and was not as unpredictable and other political considerations. I'm not saying Rick Nixon and Trump are alike, and I didn't say it at the time, but an unpredictability on the foreign stage, either walk softly and carry a big stick TR. He's not one of my favorites, but he did say that. Um, but you, you've got to project power to avoid certain conflict. So I don't believe that cowering in a corner and telling it's okay. It's okay. You shouldn't respond. That's that's not how Hamas is going to respect. You know, you, you wipe them out. That's it. Be done. And it's that's not what people want to hear. Our friend probably doesn't want to hear that, and he'll say you're a, you're a noob and a, a naive oh, warmonger, whatever warmongers. But if you're shooting at my house and you're shooting at my family, I'm going to defend myself. Period. I'm going to defend myself. And if you think that's wrong, I'm sorry. They're not shooting at you. You don't get to tell me how I should act when they're shooting at me. You know, I, I, that's how I feel. But you have anything else on that? Nope. I think I've had my rant. That was okay. my, that was my rant for the evening. That's all I got tonight. Is there anything else you needed to get off your chest or vent your spleen around? Please let me know. No, I don't think so. I, I may okay. have a few for, uh, for the next, uh, for the next gathering, okay. but we'll save them. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.